All right, I'm here with Celeste McGovern. Um, Celeste is an independent writer. She's been writing about vaccines and I think other health issues for several years now. Um, she's a frequent contributor to What Doctors Don't Tell You, which is based in the UK and is available online. And I'll include a link to that as well as to your recent article. She just had an article out, which I loved because it just um, really lays out some of the main problems with a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and we're going to go through some of those. Um, I, I love this because it's written in very clear terms. It's, it's not, um, you know, you cover a lot of ground here, but it's all very easily understandable. So I think this is, this is very good for a lay audience, for a general audience to just, to get an idea of what some of the biggest problems are that we're not really hearing about in the mainstream. So, um, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, Thanks for having me, Bertine. Yeah, yeah. And and I would love to ask, just um, to get started, what, what you know, we, we're seeing a lot of, of, the, of the vaccine being promoted and pushed and a lot of sort of um, even concerns being expressed. I was surprised to see Paul Offit, Offit and Peter Hotez come out and say, wait a second, Let's let's slow down a little bit. This is let's let's not. These guys are two, are two of the biggest vaccine pushers you will ever find, and yet they're taking a very cautious stance, saying let's not rush this. Um, what do you think the biggest issues are that we're not hearing about? Well, I think I would call this like a top ten dangers of the COVID nineteen uh, vaccine that. But the um, immune activation is the one we have heard about, but I don't know that that's so much in the mainstream media anymore. As you mentioned, um, Paul Offit and Peter Hotez, who are, um, you know, strident, uh, stridently pro-vaccine, have, um, like, raised red flags about that. Um, but I don't think that the mainstream media certainly hasn't made it clear to people and i don't think that your average person in the public really understands that problem which is historical with the coronavirus vaccine every coronavirus vaccine that they have tested has been a disaster like a failure in that what it does is it seems to be benign it seems to work in the way that vaccines work how they're measured as successful is that they produce antibodies, you produce antibodies to this particular vaccine after you've had the shot. The problem is, is that when you meet that actual virus in, uh, in nature, months later in some of the experiments, um, the, you, your immune system is now activated to respond in a, in a hypervigilant way, like to overreact so that you get the very worst symptoms of COVID-19. Is this is the disaster scenario. And it has been the documented problem with previous uh, coronaviruses. Um, all coronavirus vaccines have, have run into this problem historically. In the, the um, uh, vaccines against respiratory syncytial virus, they tested these in the 60s and it was the same thing. They gave it to a bunch of orphans and they were delighted that this was a successful vaccine and it and it um, all of these uh, infants and children produced 
um, antibodies to the RSV um, the virus in question, but nine months later, the children were exposed to a natural uh, floating RSV virus and 80% of them were hospitalized. Two died in a group of, in a small group of, um, of orphans, I think it was at 16. And so what you, I'd have to check that, but, but I mean, it, it was a disaster. Um, and so they've, these, this issue has come up again with other vaccines. Recently, the Dengvaxia vaccine 2017 was a complete disaster in the Philippines. Anybody can just like Google that and see what happened there. And that um, vaccine was actually was actually removed from the market. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And there are and and health officials there are being sued and um, I mean facing criminal charges for negligence. Wow. wow. Um, I mean, this was resulted in. Um, the the mainstream media in the Philippines accepts 190 child deaths, um, but but many other reports say hundreds more children died. Wow. Um, and I mean, it was a, an, a it's an ongoing um, you know issue in the Philippines. And what happened was that same principle where those who had been already exposed to dengue virus were protected by the vaccine. Were they, they protected by the vaccine? They'd already been exposed, right? Were so they protected for, by the vaccine or by their previous exposure, though? Well, that is the paradox because, but they didn't know who was exposed because just like with coronavirus, we don't know who's had it or, or not unless you've been tested and the tests themselves are very questionable. Yeah. Lots of people say they were really sick and in March, but was it coronavirus? They won't know. And the antibodies um, so, don't even seem, seem to last that long. So to me, I, I look at the antibody tests, and I think, well, that doesn't seem very meaningful. No, no. But that is how they measure the success of vaccines. Yeah. And so what happened, though, is children who had never or, or who had never been exposed to dengue virus before got very sick. Um, and many of them have liver failure, internal bleeding, and it was like the worst um, symptoms of the disease were expressed in a, in a very unacceptably high number of, of children. I mean, obviously it should be no children. And right. so that, that vaccine was pulled. What is terribly frightening to me about the COVID-19 vaccine is that Bill Gates has even said that we should be prepared to accept very high, um, he said 700,000 um, adverse events. Um, and the media has been preparing us, it seems in the last few weeks, especially I've seen a number of articles, there was one in Business Insider the other day saying, you know, to expect that this isn't going to be a walk in the park, that this is going to be a reactogenic vaccine <laughs> with serious side effects. And the question we have to ask is if children who have a very low, in particular, I mean, everybody under age 70 is at very low risk of dying from coronavirus or even from becoming seriously ill from it. And what... Why, though, in the case particularly for children who have a 0.0016% odds of dying of coronavirus, should we subject them to a fast-tracked experimental vaccine 
that has um, not been tested um, appropriately with control placebos, like um, true placebos, and when they face no risks, like we're looking at this as this is not an individual risk benefit analysis for the patient at all. Um, this yeah. is just yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of terrifying because they're setting us up to expect serious side effects as if that's normal and uh, and and um, acceptable. Right, and so so they're not even denying that this sort of this syndrome, this this over overreaction um, or overstimulation of the immune system is a problem with this vaccine. They're not denying that. Their their position seems to be this is what you have to accept in order to fight off what's now now seems to be a disappearing virus that only really affects, only really impacts a small segment of society. Um, the, the other weird thing about that to me is that it seems from, from so I've read um, one of the, the ferret studies where they were um, with the, the COVID, I mean, the, the coronavirus vaccine was tested on, on ferrets and they developed these lung pathologies. It seemed to me, it was, it's not a matter of you're going to get these bad side effects in some people, but overall it's protective. It seemed to me that it was kind of the opposite that, or am I misinterpreting that? That No, my, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's like the majority of people are being triggered to fall ill. Right. Um, and I don't understand this because, I mean, here we have a, a an Operation Warp Speed um, research going on which is falling within what are we at now six months um of of research on this thing and even i mean within the trials it's it within the rsv vaccine it was it was nine months later that they were exposed to um you know the the natural virus and there doesn't seem to be any information on protection like as I was saying, the test of these vaccines is antibody production. So mm-hmm. that it's not like they say, okay, well now now let's just see how you react to a natural coronavirus. Although they are doing some of those. Um, right, it sounded like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's standard. And and again, that's another problem. Um, I I didn't talk about it in the article, but that's another standard problem in vaccine man, um, development is that the people who are selected for the trials are not the people on the street. They're screening out anybody who has any underlying conditions, anybody who's got asthma, you're not in the trial, anybody who, who, um, you know, has, is like, you're basically taking fit, healthy people. And then you're going to apply that to the masses right across the board. This is a one size fits all kind of thing. And I've, I just, I don't understand how people can't be alarmed by that sort of a, approach on the time scale that we're looking at alone. So one of the other, that brings up one of the other things that you mentioned in the article is um, the mRNA vaccine technology. You say it's never been used before in a vaccine. Um, no, and that is a terrifying concept. I mean, this is in the Moderna vaccine, which is one of the front runners. Um, Bill Gates funded and sponsored again. And um, (laughs) 
we don't have any precedents. We don't, we don't have anything to look at. There's all sorts of um, speculation about what this is, is this RNA going to interact with our own genome and everything. Um, we don't know. Uh, this is on such a short scale in a brand new platform. And many of these vaccines, I mean, when um, I think when I wrote, between when I wrote the article in late May to now, there, I mean, it's 120 vaccines going now is I think it was yeah. at 110 and the latest count I heard was 120 or 30 or something. And every country, any company that can get its, its you know, um, claws into this like complete funnel of, of funds. I mean, it's just like this gigantic fund, um, like slush fund for vaccine R&D. And I don't know who's, um, I mean, out of the front runners, they're looking at a lot of new technologies, not just the mRNA technology, um, but nanotechnologies. Um, the, the, one of the leaders, GSK, is, um, has, is, has got a government contract. I think it was a billion dollars to produce um, a, a one billion um, ASO4. Adjuvants, and that's the one that was problematic. This is the adjuvant that was fingered in the narcolepsy outbreak that followed the experimental pandemic uh, 2009 vaccine. You remember the swine flu vaccine was uh, a disaster in Europe, where they used this um, ASO was it ASO3 actually back, uh, adjuvant, and. Um, uh, I mean, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1,400 people, including many children, hundreds of children, developed narcolepsy. It's a brain disorder that causes you to fall asleep during the day. These are people who have, it's a devastating, life-altering, life-shortening disorder that, um, I mean, you don't drive. You, you don't become a doctor. You don't fly a plane you don't you know this is you can't walk across the street without and it's permanent um, there's no there's no treatment for this no it says an autoimmune well the, the um leading theories on it is that the vaccine caused an autoimmune assault on a hub of brain cells uh that control the sleep wake cycle in the brain and it had to do with the adjuvant that they are rolling out gsk has has gotten a grant to roll to already um, develop, even ahead of a vaccine, which is really weird. So just, just to be clear, just to be clear, with the ASO um, adjuvant, this is something that was established. This this was this established in a court of law. This this is not um, you hypothetically saying you know maybe it oh, was no, the no. adjuvant. It, it was in the journal of translational science, mm -hmm. uh, 2015. Following it, that one of the um, it was GSK's own research and Roche Pharmaceuticals. Um, they they published their own research. Um, now, there's been subsequent research. There's no doubt about the epidemiology linking the experimental 2009 pandemic vaccine to um, hundreds of cases of narcolepsy. That is um, an absolutely... Uh, substantiated in data from Finland, 
the UK, France, um, in both adults and children. And it started when a Finnish or a Norwegian psychiatrist started noticing all these kids with childhood narcolepsy. And, and it had, like, they just, he was just like, what's going on? And their parents pinpointed the vaccine and he brought it to the health ministers. And the first studies there showed a ninefold increase in this previously very wow. rare disorder. And so that um, epidemiology is absolutely unquestionable. Um, and it's specific to the adjuvant. Um, well, it was linked to the uh, adjuvant that was used in it. Um, and the, but, but that adjuvant is being rolled out again. And that was, I mean, it was published data. It was done by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, it, it, um, it, to say that that's uh, refuted, I mean, it just hasn't been refuted. It, it's not, um, it's, it's a very good theory and it fits and it fits all the data that they presented, um, but there's no other explanation. And, and now they're rolling out um, the same adjuvant. Wow. So, wow. And we don't even know in what vaccine yet because there are so many vaccines coming. It's really hard to keep an eye on like who's, mm -hmm. who is leading and you know, it's being presented as a vaccine race, you know? Um, right. So today's news is that, oh, Russia surprised everybody with Sputnik five and they have their new, like they've already got a vaccine and Putin's daughter has had it, you know? And, and it's like, oh, okay. So, um, you, we know nothing about it, you know, nothing about it. <laughs> and every country has this, like, um, I, I just find it's absolutely kind of insane. If you were looking at any other drug development um, in the same kind of lens, it would be sort of terrifying. If you didn't have risk of heart disease and suddenly they wanted to give you a heart drug that had just been put on the market six months, you know, like put in a race, um, for billions, it's a trillion dollars now spending, government spending yeah. on a COVID vaccine. So one, one, another interesting thing that you brought up, um, in the Oxford trials, um, they, they trialed this on monkeys. And what they found was that, what you said in your piece is that all of the vaccinated animals developed COVID infections and had the same level of virus in their nasal passages as the unvaccinated monkeys. But the researchers defended their vaccine because the monkeys did not develop pneumonia. So this to me sounds similar to say the, the whooping cough vaccine, which yes, it, it diminishes symptoms in the person who gets the vaccine, but it's not gonna stop, and in that case it's a bacteria, not a virus, but- hey, you're gonna get sick. Yeah, you're, and it doesn't stop you from passing it on to other people. So no. to me, the whole, you know, when, when you bring up that, oh, children aren't at risk, so why should they take it? People will say, well, we need to develop herd immunity and we need to, the children, we should basically sacrifice the interests of the children in order to protect this small group of people that is at risk. But it sounds like it's not even going to do that. At least, at least the Oxford one is not even going to do that. Do you think the, are any of the other vaccines showing that they will prevent transmission? Or do we just not know? We don't know at this point, I don't think, at least we've not really been told. And, and honestly, I don't know if we can believe anything that's being presented 
presented to us because it's all being presented by the industry and with no independent checking. So it's as if we've just come out and asked like tobacco manufacturers to give us a new cigarette and give us the reports on their safety and effectiveness. Right. And it's, and there's like, there's no, apart from like having to go through hoops, which they've, they've admitted that we've removed some of the, you know, we've, we've, we're compressing everything you have to do. We're making it the easiest uh, regulatory process possible. And, uh, and basically here's the blank check and do what you want. And a very important thing for people to consider is that there is zero liability um, for this, for the vaccine manufacturers in this. So, when you take that vaccine, wherever it is, governments all over the world have put in place um, uh, legislation to protect the, the um, manufacturers and the government against any kind of lawsuits um, so that any pandemic countermeasures, including vaccines, are completely um, liability free for the manufacturers. So. You can't do anything. It, it doesn't matter if your if your kid drops dead from the thing. You have no recourse here because of the emergency, the state of emergency measures that were um, that have protected the manufacturers from so, from. And it, they, the, it's under the guise of giving them a you know risk, so they don't have to take any risk and bring this life saving medicine to the world, but. If, if it doesn't, it, it can be contaminated, it can be filthy, it can be dangerous. And as long as they get through these compressed regulations, you, you have no legal There's nothing recourse. you can do. Yeah. No. It's just, well, I guess they, they learned their lesson from the Philippines experience where, where people are being sued, I guess, and they don't, they don't want that again. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Getting back to the to the efficacy question, um, have you seen any evidence? Um, you know, just leaving even leaving safety aside for the moment, have you seen anything from from the vaccines that are coming up now to indicate that it will do anything other than that? That any of these vaccines will do anything other than possibly lessen symptoms in people. Well, we've seen evidence of the opposite. I mean, Moderna's vaccine, uh, one of the participants um, came forward and at first seemed to be defending the vaccine and saying he had no reaction at all. I think it was on CNN. He said he was fine. I can't remember which major media that he came out on and said he was doing fine. And then in sort of, I guess, a, you know, fit of conscience or something, had a went to stat news and said, actually, I was the sickest I've ever been in my life. I collapsed and was, went to hospital and, you know, (laughs) was sent home. um, You know, he was taken by ambulance to hospital and uh, wound up being, um, you know, really suffering and saying, okay, I'm fine now, but I guess I should really mention that. So um, there are serious adverse events, and this was in their higher dose, their experimental higher dose, but I think it was listed as adverse, serious adverse events, which involved any kind of hospitalization 
um, or life-threatening reaction was, uh, I think it was like one third of them, wasn't it? It was- Yeah, yeah. Um, in the, in the anyway, group. unacceptably high. And that's just been glossed over by the media again, just sort of, well, I guess we'll go with the lower dose. Um, <laughs> One more thing I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned some of the ingredients. And I think um, a lot of people, including, you know, one of our politicians here in California, who who is sort of famous for, for pushing vaccine mandates has insisted publicly that um you know there's no there's no fetal tissue and maybe he i guess if you say fetal tissue yeah maybe there's not fetal tissue in it in vaccines but you do talk about the use of fetal dna in vaccines. yeah and i think it's now six of the leading front like the front runners six in the top ten mm -hmm. are are grown on uh, or use human embryonic kidney cells or other um, tissue derived from aborted fetuses in the manufacture process. In some of them, like Moderna's, I believe it's um, kind of a step removed. They use it in making uh, part of the spike protein that they're developing the vaccine against, um, but it's used in the vaccine manufacture. And of course, this is you know, a religious objection for some, a conscientious objection for others, and I mean, just plain repulsive to a lot of us. It's just, um, and the fact that that we know so little about um, uh, the effects of these contaminants, because what has been absolutely demonstrated is that fetal cells leave behind DNA. So this is human In the DNA. So you're saying from in some cases from fetuses that were aborted way back in the 70s and their cells were then you know, what they call immortalized. So right, these cells right. have been replicating and replicating and replicating. Um, and uh, it's Teresa Deicher who has, uh, um, she's a biochemist who has raised these um, issues uh, about the induction of cancer this way and the um, dangers of fetal fetal cell DNA contaminants um, causing provoking autoimmune conditions. And she gives it a very interesting example. I didn't know this, but um, when a woman goes into labor, what's happening is the baby's DNA, fetal DNA, is leaks through to a level in the mother's bloodstream that it gets high enough that what is um, provoked is actually an autoimmune response. It's partly mm -hmm. immunological. Labor is an immunological rejection of the baby so that, that launches this whole cascade. And, and Teresa Deicher says that the contaminating DNA is about the same size as those, um, those fragments of DNA that are leaking, uh, that, that in, uh, induce labor. So you can't say that these are innocuous. We simply don't know what they're doing right. um, in terms of right. immunity. It's never been studied. Uh, their, their role in cancer, no vaccines are being studied long-term for, for their uh, um, carcinogenic effects. Never. 
Never, not never looked at, never required to be looked at. And so, just to be clear, when you talk about the contaminant DNA, you're talking about DNA fragments that are actually in the vaccine itself. So it's not, we're not just talking about what the, you know, tissue that the vaccine was developed on. This is stuff that is, has, is found. Oh yeah, in no, vaccines. it's grown on it, but it's in there because mm -hmm. they cannot, it, different countries have different levels of purity um, or, or companies and, and different regulatory bodies might have different levels of acceptable contamination, but zero contamination is impossible in vaccine manufacture. And fetal contamination is a known and well-documented contaminant. Um, Yehuda Schoenfeld in the book, Vaccines and Autoimmunity, specifically refers to fetal um, cell contamination. It's listed on the CDC uh, list of excipient ingredients. I've heard that they might be trying to remove that, but um, it's, it's, it's been there for decades and it's a known contaminant and a completely unstudied contaminant, mm -hmm. uh, unstudied mm -hmm. by government regulatory bodies um, because they don't want to know, I suppose, and drug companies don't want to know what it causes. And, and, and if there are um, conditions, these are probably more likely to be things that are latent. Um, right. Latent, You're not going to see them in a, in a drug trial. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing for people to consider too is that immune system damage is not always visible. Like you don't see a person's. Um, and so when they're talking about a reactogenic vaccine, um, well, you get a whopping, you know, flu for or three days from it. Um, and you wouldn't have been sick at all, but you think you're fine. But is your immune system fine? You, you're talking about mm -hmm. this incredible symphony of, of, uh, of, you know, of, um, you know, these tools, this incredible system. I mean, it's a very sophisticated defense system. And we don't know whether it's been activated or not. Nobody's going to measure if your immune system has been activated to respond, uh, to hyper respond to coronavirus when you need it. Mm -hmm. You're going to get the vaccine and then. And no one's certainly no one's going to follow up. Coronavirus. No. no one's going to follow up 20 years later to see what autoimmune conditions you may or, or even a year later. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so here's my big question for you. Um, it looks like, and, and some of this actually is being reported in the mainstream. Um, even what we're seeing in the mainstream, even, you know, what people like Offit and Hotez are talking about, and then what you go into more depth about, there's a lot to be concerned about, to, to put it mildly. There's a lot to be concerned about with not just a specific one of these vaccines that's being developed, but with developing a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine at all. And the problems seem like pretty significant ones. Um, and as you mentioned, as you said, Bill Gates has said, you know, let's prepare for 700,000 adverse events. Um, and yet it's also, I, I feel like it's pretty well known that this is, COVID-19 is something that impacts one specific segment of society, you know, a segment that, that we should protect, how how do you think they're going to, it, it seems to me that any rational person looking at this situation is going to say, well, there's no way 
that it makes sense to have everybody on the planet or even to have a large number of people or even any children at all vaccinated with this kind of vaccine when it's really only when the a the disease is only really a concern for this small group of people and b from everything we've seen the vaccine is probably just going to make it worse for them once they're exposed to it how on earth are are they going to are they going to sell this is it just pure fear and assuming that i i think it's gonna, just I don't the way they it. sold it right from the beginning um it, this has been scaremongering i mean it's just uh um <laughs> hyped up fear. And, and to be honest, I'm looking at other vaccines, they've done the same thing. This is their mm -hmm. MO sort of thing for making vaccines yeah. is that you, you're terrified of your kid getting measles because, you know, they might die from measles or chicken pox or, um, and, and the, there is no real individual risk benefit analysis for, for, uh, I mean, if they were seriously concerned about those who are most at risk, um, you would see that as being, okay, well, let's look at giving grandma a shot um, in, the, in the nursing home, right? Like mm -hmm. To protect her. But there isn't even that level of rationale going on. This is yeah. taking children with 0.0016% risk of dying. And, you know, very little chance of even knowing they have coronavirus if they have it and exposing them to a fast-tracked, experimental, novel platform of a vaccine. Like you, you just, um, it, it boggles the mind why parents would submit their kids to the risk, to be honest, and why governments wouldn't, and doctors aren't looking at it as an individual health assessment rather than this blanket uh, um, and it does look like it's coming down as mandates. Um, you know, That's certainly what they want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I think fear has been the overriding emotion in this um, pandemic from the day one, and I think that's been deliberately orchestrated. As um, if you are terrified and you think that there's something that will end this, um, then then it's good marketing. It's interesting because there's a clinical trial going on in, in Britain where they're looking at how to market the vaccine. Yes, I saw and that. So they're yeah. asking uh, people, oh, so like, what's the best way? Like, what would you, they're studying the psychology of people. So how would, how should we market this? Fear? Guilt? If you don't give your kid this, they could die. They use that one. And um, you know, anger, like, you know, um, uh, and, um, uh, you know, not trusting in science. Like if mm -hmm. you, if you don't take this vaccine, you, you don't really, you're kind of in this ignorant group that just doesn't really understand how viruses spread or something, you know, mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. um, but it, and people should understand that, that that whole thing has been studied by psychologists just to see how to sell you this. And that's the bottom line. This is selling a product uh, that hasn't just been a trillion dollars from the U.S. government, but um, has investors all over the world looking mm -hmm. at their returns on this. So Bill Gates has said, as a philanthropist, that he's put $10 billion into vaccines from 2010, and he's expecting a 20 to 1 
return on his investment. And that is some sweet ROI on a, on a, on, and no wonder he wants 7 billion people to take this up. And, and Gates is um, interviewed left, right, and center on this from the beginning as some kind of expert. He has no medical degree. He's not an epidemiologist. He's not an infectious disease specialist. He doesn't know anything about mm-hmm. vaccines beyond his, um, his business interest in them, really. And, uh, and he's, he's, um, addressed as the expert, um, and in control of the World Health Organization. As right, the right. Um, yeah. So yeah. what, what can parents do? What can people do who, who see this coming? We see this, you know, they're going to try and make it mandatory. If you want to fly, if you want to work, if you want to shop, maybe just mandatory period. What can people do to fight this? Oh gosh, I wish I knew, Bridget. <laughs> I, mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, and, and the pressure is really mounting and just where you expect, like people will just be saying, no, we, you know, even doctors will be saying, well, we don't really want to take this. Um, the, uh, you know, Lancet carried something about no, no jab, no job last mm-hmm. week. Um, the, you know, the picture is increasingly that this is going to be part of society and an unavoidable part and i think what we have to do is is um join together uh, look for the groups like our various in i'm in canada vaccine choice canada um in the states children's health defense uh and, and joining together with all of the physicians for informed consent those who are fighting um these these measures and um and then I, I suppose it's trying to defend our right to have uh, medical freedom and informed consent. I mean, that's, that's and, and uh, I think we're past the point of having to, to speak out, definitely, <laughs> yeah. to defend ourselves. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. But thank you for, for doing this. And thank you. I'm going to spread this article all over the place because I feel like it does, it really lays out um, you know, just sort of the, the, the biggest reasons to be concerned about this. And I feel like educating people is, is a big part of it too, because, you know, so many people don't look under the hood and just sort of trust what the experts say, but might yeah. be Well, and that is one thing I think people can do too, is if you're going to take a shot, read the insert and not mm-hmm. the one for the patients, but ask a physician, any like for any vaccine um, and any drug, ask to see the package insert and read those side effects, and then mm-hmm. weigh it. Like, do you yeah. really want this for something that you'll you may have had and didn't know you had, or you very likely will, will experience as a mild cold? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I will. I'll get this to you when it's up, and hopefully, we can spread it around and educate a lot of people. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Take care.